So the Bible reading today is 1 John 2, uh, verses 3 to 17. We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep what he has commanded, is a liar, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Dear friends, I am not writing to you a new command, but an old one, which you have had since the beginning. This old command is the message you have heard, yet I am writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you, because the darkness is passing and the true light is already shining. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves brothers and sisters lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks through the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account on his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the world of God lives in you and you have overcome the evil one. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of the God lives forever. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Matthew. Um, let's just pray really quickly as we come before God to listen to his word this morning. Lord, we thank you for your living word. We pray this morning that you would open our ears, that you would speak to us now for your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, for your own sake we ask. Amen. Now, it goes without saying that we are living in difficult and uncertain times. And in our new series, we are thinking together about how we can be sure and certain of our faith, even through days like these. And we're doing that as we listen to God's Word, as we find it in the letter of 1 John. Now, this week, actually, for the last couple of weeks, uh, me and Lindsay were doing DIY, uh, and we were wrecked uh, one day this week. We hadn't eaten. It was about 10 o'clock at night, and we thought we'd go to McDonald's uh, and get a couple of cheeky 99p cheeseburgers each. And uh, Anyway, we didn't go home. We were eating in the car park at the Abbey Center. Really glamorous. It was Valentine's Day at night. Uh, and, and I found myself panicking, thinking, wait a minute, is this okay what we're doing right now? Was this a necessary journey? Are, are we breaking the law? And I'm thinking, am I going to get arrested for eating a cheeseburger in a car park? You see, the thing is, right now, even the simplest things have become difficult. And if I'm totally honest, through these last few months, I find myself at times feeling pretty useless, feeling adrift, cut off from the things I love 
that help to give me a sense of purpose. A bit of background to the text that Matthew read us. The words he read are from a letter written by John, who was one of Jesus' disciples. But unlike most of the other disciples who were killed young for their faith in Jesus, John lived to a ripe old age and became a hero among the first and second generation of Christians. We know that he planted and pastored many churches, and the letter we're studying is one of three surviving letters from John written to encourage Christians in those churches. To get the most out of this letter, it's good for us to imagine what it would have been like to be part of one of John's churches. These were first-generation Christians, so they were having to figure out things as they went along. They lived under the shadow of the Roman Empire. They had limited resources. These were mostly poor, very ordinary people. They would have met in each other's homes as they had no dedicated buildings. Their faith in Jesus was unavoidably lived out in the messy complexity of their everyday walking lives, work, family, community, simply because there was no wider specifically Christian culture or activity to soak up their time and energy. And John, their beloved pastor, was a busy man. Most of the time, he would have been on the road, absent. In short, things were tough. But it's to these people that John is writing. Now, John was no ordinary pastor or spiritual leader. As a disciple, John had walked with Jesus. As Michael said last week, John bumped shoulder to shoulder with Jesus the Lord. And John wants to encourage his people out of the same confidence he had as someone who walked with the Lord. John was there at the Mount of Transfiguration. John was there in the Garden of Gethsemane as Jesus wept. And from his time spent bumping shoulders with Jesus, John was certain that in this man dwelt the full life of the living God. And he was sure that through Jesus, that same life, eternal life, abundant life, had become accessible to everyone and anyone who received him as Lord. So it's John's hope that his churches, even in his absence, would walk and thrive in that same life. When I became a Christian, I was 16. Before that, I was an atheist. I, I thought science had the answers to everything. I, I'm going to come clean. I, I was a complete nerd. I, I wasn't cool. I was a nerd. My favorite TV shows were Star Trek and Horizon on a Thursday night, the science show. So when I became a Christian, from that perspective, I still had loads and loads of unanswered questions and doubts. But here's the thing. My faith was strengthened in those early days, not so much as things came to make sense in my head, but through the lived out faith of the people around me, through what I seen up close in the lives of my Christian friends, my leaders in your fellowship. They 
made my fledgling faith a possibility because I could see firsthand in them the life of God at work. Even though I was full of questions and doubts up here, in here, it was impossible to deny that God was real and alive and at work and the lives of these people around me. No other explanation made sense of the data. But here's the problem. Right now, we are separated to a large extent from the people who ordinarily help to shore up our faith. We are separated from the things we do that are so often critical to our sense of Christian identity and purpose. We're away from the people and activities that help us to come alive and thrive in Jesus, that help to authenticate our faith. And that's why there's power in this letter of 1 John. Because to fledgling Christians who keenly felt his absence, John is saying, here's how you're to live this out when I'm not with you. And there are three things in this passage today I think are important for us as we try to find our footing in times like these. The first thing John calls our attention to is the life of Jesus. The life of Jesus. John says that whoever claims to live in Jesus must live as he did. As one of the 12 disciples, John had first-hand knowledge of the pattern of Jesus' life. Living to an old age gave John a chance to step back, to reflect, to ask himself, what exactly was I looking at when I gazed in the face of Jesus? And in his gospel, John tells us that Jesus was the Word of God in human flesh. The Word of God in human flesh. That means that Jesus shows us true divinity and he shows us true humanity. What does that mean? What does that mean? It means if we want to know what God looks like, we've got to pay really close attention to Jesus. It means if we want to know what a life lived well looks like, a life pleasing to God, we've got to pay really close attention to Jesus. Jesus was the full picture of God and the full picture of a life lived well that was pleasing to God. Up close to Jesus, John saw someone who was completely devoted to his heavenly Father. Jesus' life was costly and it was beautiful. It took the shape of an offering, a sacrifice. Out of love for his Father and love for the world, Jesus came down from heaven, the perfect gift of God given for a sin-soaked, sin-scarred world. Jesus himself says that he came not to condemn the world, but so that the world through him might be saved. The long darkness of the present age was passing, and the light of God's promised future had finally dawned and was now visible to anyone who received Jesus in Jesus' terms. When we look at the life of Jesus, 
we see what perfect love for God and perfect love for the world looks like, transfigured in the human flesh, lived out plainly in front of our very eyes. And that's why John says, keep his commands. That whoever claims to live in him must live like him. Jesus' life was the one true example of perfect obedience. Jesus alone fully lived out God's commandments as we find them in the Old Testament in such a way that those commandments now become a signpost pointing forward to the life of Jesus. Jesus' life is the perfect shape of what a human life, a life pleasing to God, can and should look like. Yet obeying Jesus is much more than see and do. It's more than a game, as Simon says. What we're talking about isn't copy and paste spirituality. Again and again in his letters, John talks about fellowship with Jesus. Fellowship with Jesus. He talks about friendship. What he describes is a relationship so intimate that a Christian is someone who is in Jesus, in Jesus. John uses similar language in his gospel when he talks about our relationship with Jesus being like a branch grafted into a vine. And it's not just John in the New Testament who talks like this. Paul in Romans 6 talks about being baptized into the death and resurrection of Jesus. Speaking of his own life, Paul says that he died with Jesus, but the life he goes on living, he lives by faith in the Son of God. Paul says that his life is hidden with Christ in God, and that Christ is present in him, the hope of glory. You see, as Christians, we don't just spectate, we participate in the very life of Jesus as members of his body. We don't spectate from a distance. We are up close, personal, participating, hidden in the life of Jesus Christ. Now, if you can bear it, let's talk a little bit more about Teenage Jamie. Uh, among my other nerdy things, uh, I loved Neil Young, the, the singer. Uh, I, I would watch old clips, uh, listen to his albums and repeat. I tried to write songs like he did. I learned the harmonica really badly, and I grew my hair far too long. Yet imitating a celebrity is not at all a good metaphor for living a life like Jesus. Because when we become a Christian, we are adopted into God's family. Instead of spectating from a distance, we are brought close and we begin to grow up as part of God's family. It's like we share the same bedroom. We sit down for dinner together. It's a very different kind of relationship than hero imitation. It's deeply personal and it has to do with our whole life, not just some part of us. When we become a Christian, through the simplest act of repentance and trust, the Holy Spirit baptizes us, the whole of us, body, soul, mind, spirit, 
past, present, and future, into the death and life, into the body, into the very person of Jesus Christ. We set up home in him. We dwell in him. We live in him. We are in Christ, and we should become like him as we dwell in him. And for John, the acid test as to whether we are abiding in Jesus is shown in our attitude to those around us. Here's what he says. Anyone who claims to be in the light, but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. There's a story about John that goes back to the time of St. Jerome. It goes like this. The blessed John the Evangelist lived in Ephesus until extreme old age. His disciples could barely carry him to church, and he could not muster the voice to speak many words. During individual gatherings, he usually said nothing but little children love one another. The disciples and brothers in attendance annoyed because they always heard the same words, finally said, Teacher, why do you always say this? He replied with a line worthy of John, Because it is the Lord's commandment, and if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. It is the Lord's commandment, and if it alone is kept, it is sufficient. Now, now we don't know if this story is true, but we can certainly imagine it being true, based on what we read in John's writings. And it comes as a deep challenge, doesn't it? Because the church, by its very nature, is made up of people who are very, very different from one another. Yet for John, the quality of our fellowship with each other directly reflects the quality of our friendship with Jesus. And consequently, the starting point if we find ourselves struggling with relationships, is to look to Jesus, to get back to the source, to gaze at him, to abide in him. When we're soaked through with his love for us, it will get easier for us to love the people we find difficult, even the really annoying ones. Hi, Because we discover that the same love Jesus has for us is this very same love he has for that other person. Now, it's not necessarily going to change how I feel about that person at an emotional level overnight, but it does force me to see them differently. And seeing them differently, seeing them through Jesus' eyes, I can begin to treat them differently. And then as bridges are built, we might even find out over time that we come to like that person as well as loving them. So John reminds us to pay really close attention to the life of Jesus. But he also cautions us about the lies of the world. Here's what he says. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Now when John talks about not loving the world, it's easy to think he's saying that the physical world and a Christian's concern for it is outright a bad thing. 
that all that matters is heavenly spiritual things. But we're wrong to think that. Our baseline is always that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You see, Jesus didn't die for abstract souls. He died for the redemption of God's whole creation. That includes bodies, atoms, things. Instead, the word world in John's thought names enemy-occupied territory. It's that part of creation that is still in darkness, that isn't yet full of the light and life of God's Spirit. It's where evil has set up home in rebellion against God. That's the world. St. Augustine, the church father, famously said in his confessions, our hearts are restless until they find rest in you, O God. Our hearts are restless until they find rest in you, O God. In his youth, Augustine had sought happiness in all the wrong places. Popularity, success, money, sex, and it only brought him unhappiness. But later in life, he came to realize that his fundamental problem wasn't a lack, a lack of money, a lack of respect, a lack of relationship. The fundamental problem was that his heart was restless, but in trying to satisfy his desires and longings, it had gone after the wrong things. His heart was trying to find satisfaction in the world, but his heart wasn't made for the world. It was made for God. And our fundamental problem is restless hearts that are seeking fulfillment in the world instead of in God. Because of sin, our desires are disorganized. It's like a broken GPS, right? We keep typing in the same destination. I want happiness, purpose, meaning, and the pin keeps dropping in the wrong places. And because of that, we end up undertaking the same pointless, unsatisfying journeys again and again. Um, I said earlier, I came clean that I was a nerd and that I watched Star Trek. Another confession I still do from time to time. Um, bear with me with this point, right? In Star Trek Deep Space Nine, there's a character called Odo, right? He's a shapeshifter. And when he was found drifting in space, he was a formless liquid. But as he grows up, he finds he can take on the shape of anything. Yet even though he can literally become anything he wants to be, he is deeply unhappy because all he actually wants is to know who he is, to know where he came from, to be with his own people. You see, the world encourages us to become whatever we want to be, to follow our dreams, as if that's a good thing, but it isn't. Because the only place of rest, peace, fulfillment, purpose, the only destination worthy of my heart is the one for which it was made. And each of us was made to be with God. And the only way back home to God is through Jesus. Jesus alone is worthy of the best of my loves, the best of my desires and longings, because he alone 
can take my restless heart back home. So we are called to pay close attention to the life of Jesus. We are warned about the lies of the world. And finally, in the middle section, we are reminded that God's truth is stronger than our doubts. God's truth is stronger than our doubts. In the middle of the passage, John says this. I am writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who he is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who he is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but from time to time, if I'm in a particularly happy mood, I find myself randomly singing the first thing that comes into my head. Now, usually I'm alone, or I'm singing to the dog, right? Sometimes Lindsay catches me, uh, but usually it's, a, usually it's a, a, a private matter, my singing to myself. Uh, but here in this passage, it's almost like after reflecting on Jesus and thinking through what this means for his brothers and sisters, John bursts into a spontaneous song of praise. You see, John knows that the, that the success of his churches doesn't depend on the quality of the people in them. It depends on what God has already accomplished for them through Jesus. And what a list he gives us of God's truths. Your sins have been forgiven. You know God who was there at the beginning. You have overcome the evil one. You know the Father. You are strong, and the word of God lives in you. You know, it doesn't matter at the end of the day what they think about themselves, how riddled with doubt and insecurity they might have become through circumstances. Because when all is said and done, this is God's truth concerning them. This is God's perspective. This is how God sees them. Not future tense, but present tense, right now, in this moment. In times like these, I need to remind myself that the determining factor isn't my resilience. It's not my strength. It's not my capacity to be strong and power through. It's God's truth, God's power, which is made perfect in my weakness. And I don't need to dig deep down for that extra something because he has already poured his grace into my life. And his grace is sufficient, however I might feel in this moment. However I feel right now, these are the fundamental truths. My sins have been forgiven. I have overcame the evil one. I know the Father. I am strong, and the word of God lives in me. So John is calling us to pay attention to the life of Jesus in whom we dwell, in whom our lives are hidden. He's, call, he's, he's calling us to, to pay attention to the lies of the world and to make sure our desires, our, our longing for God, who alone can take our restless hearts home.
and he's calling us to pay attention to God's truths over and against our doubts. But how can we put this into action this week? I've got three words for us, three really short, simple words. With, through, and for. This week, I would challenge you to be with Jesus. Be with Jesus. Take time to reflect on who he is. Pay attention to the life of the Son of God. You could read John 15, or the parables in Luke 15, or maybe if you want and you have time, read right through the Gospel of Mark. Fill yourselves up. Saturate yourself with who Jesus is. Be alone with him. Be with Jesus, because that's transforming in itself. Second, through. Whatever you do this week, do it through him. And I'm not just talking about the difficult things, right? I'm talking about the everyday, ordinary things. Do them through Jesus. Whatever you do, right? Just remind yourself, even this simple task today that I do every day, I am doing it through you, Lord. I am doing it through your grace. I am doing it through your strength. And finally, four, do all things for the glory of God. Don't think about the immediate people benefiting, right? Think about who ultimately you're doing these things for. Whatever you do this week, do it for the glory of a God who loves you. Be with Jesus. Do all things through him and do all things for him. You know, I was thinking about the last point, that God's truth is stronger than my doubts. And I came across this quote from a short book I say it's short in comparison to the other things he wrote, uh, but a short book by an old Scottish theologian called Thomas Torrance. And I'm going to finish by reading it to you because it really spoke to me this week, and I think it's saturated with God's truths. Here's what he says. God loves you so utterly and completely that he has given himself for you in Jesus Christ, his beloved son. He has thereby pledged his very being as God for your salvation. In Jesus Christ, God has actualized his unconditional love for you in your human nature in such a once for all way that he cannot go back upon it without undoing the incarnation and the cross and thereby denying himself. Jesus Christ died for you precisely because you are sinful and utterly unworthy of him and has thereby already made you his own before and apart from your ever believing in him. He has bound you to himself by his love in a way that he will never let you go. For even if you refuse him and damn yourself to hell, his love will never cease. Therefore, repent and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You see, this same Jesus who walked the dusty paths of ancient Palestine with John and a band of disciples He's still alive in this moment, and he loves you. He's loved you from eternity, and he wants to bring you home 
into your right relationship with his heavenly father. And maybe you feel for whatever reason, like the ground's giving out in your life, but things are falling apart and the center cannot hold. You're at the end of your rope. You're tired. You're exhausted. You've been through one too many tragedies. You've lost too much. What I tell you this morning is come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The truth is, no one is outside the realm of his love. There's a print we got for Christmas hanging in our living room. It's of an open hand filled with seed and there are birds eating freely from it. It's called, everyone has a place at the table. Everyone has a place at the table. You see, everyone has a place at God's table this morning. No matter who you are, how far from him you feel, whatever you've done. And this morning, if you would like to come home to Jesus, to take your place with him, in him, I'd encourage you to do that, whether it's for the first time or the thousandth time. It doesn't matter if you're across the road from us as we film or if you're on the other side of the world. If you feel the call of God beckoning you this morning, if you sense the great love he has for you, why don't you join me in this short of prayer of response? Lord Jesus Christ, I am sorry for the things I have done wrong in my life. Please forgive me. I now turn from everything that I know is wrong. Thank you that you died on the cross for me so that I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you that you offer me forgiveness and the gift of your spirit. I now receive that gift. Please come into my life by your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.